0: The overnight low down to 29, a little bit warmer tomorrow with a high of 41, partly cloudy tomorrow night, overnight low down to 25, and by the time we get to Friday, the high will be almost 49, and the word sunny is in the forecast, partly sunny, so some sun and a bit warmer on Friday, uh, but as we uh, hit Saturday night, precipitation comes back in and we might enter next work week with some more snow on the horizon So we'll keep an eye on all of that for you. Right now, it is time for Let's Talk Vet. Stay tuned. It's coming right up, followed by the Retro Cocktail Hour here on Radio Catskill.
1: Support comes from Wayne Memorial Hospital, a certified primary stroke center and Level 4 trauma center. Wayne Memorial also opened a cardiac cath lab in 2016 and celebrates its centennial this year. WMH.org. Support for WJFF Radio Catskill comes from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com, and from listener donations at wjffradio.org.
2: Good evening, boys and girls. Hope you have your secret decoder rings ready to gather around the radio because it's time for Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Our mission, as always, is to provide news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area veterans, active service members, and their families. Tonight we'll hear from Bill Forte, a vet from Ulster County, about his service and his life thereafter. Stephen Walsh is a veteran service officer at the Sullivan County Veterans Service Agency in Monticello. We'll talk to him. And our old friend Larry Newman, program supervisor at the PFC Joseph P. DeWire, Vet-to-Vet Peer Mentoring Program, and chair of the Hudson Valley Veterans Task Force in Middletown, New York. First, a well-deserved shout-out to the vets from Saugertie's VFW Post 5023, led by Commander Matthew Russell and American Legion Post 72, Commander Warren Whitaker. These folks assisted in delivering over 800 Thanksgiving holiday meals to the Socrates Boys and Girls Club unit. The meals were prepared and donated by Diamond Mills and HITS owner Thomas Struzieri. Well done, folks. Bill Forte is a vet who lives in Ulster County and is very active in many veterans' organizations and causes. Well, thanks for joining us, Bill Forte, on uh, Let's Talk Vets on WJFF. How you doing? Oh, fine. You come from a family of vets. You're a, you're a U.S. Army vet, I believe. Yeah, I served 21 years on active duty. Okay. What was your job? I started out in the infantry, and uh, about halfway through
0: my career, I switched to military intelligence. And uh, I was involved in background investigations on people, for uh, various things, and uh, it got quite interesting.
2: So I believe you said you come from a family of vets, correct?
0: Oh, yeah. My grandfather, one grandfather served in World War I. My other grandfather served in World War Two, as did my father, and about five of my uncles, all in World War Two. I had several in Korea. My father served during Vietnam. I had several uncles served then. I served during Vietnam, although I was not sent there uh... had another brother uh... served thirty three years i have a son that's currently serving and he's stationed at camp david the presidential retreat
2: oh wow so he gets to uh... rub elbows with the president huh yes he does
0: uh... he did six years in the white house during the bush and obama administrations also and in between he did a few years over in uh... afghanistan what is what is his rank He's a sergeant first class. Uh, did you enlist or were you drafted, Bill? I enlisted five days after I turned 17. I wasn't doing much. I was about to get myself into trouble, and I don't know. I, I always knew I would go into the service. It was just a, a toss-up between which you know branch I'd go into, and I guess my father's influence made you know made the decision for me.
2: Didn't you tell me that you tried to enlist uh, earlier and got caught? Oh, yeah. Tell us that story. That's a great story.
0: I had gotten in some trouble, and I took somebody's draft card. I went down to New York City and enlisted in the Army. I took my uh, tests, the written tests, had my physical, and uh, they put you up in a hotel for the night. I went back the next day to be sworn in and shipped out. And uh, when I got there, they called my name. They led me down this hall and told me to go in this room. When I got in there, there were two New York City policemen waiting for me. And they asked me who I was, and I gave them the phony name. With that, the first one backhanded me, knocked me off my feet. They said, then I'm going to ask you one more time. And that's all he said, and I blurted out who I was. I wasn't looking to get knocked around anymore. And, uh, they had done a background check on me, a records check, and uh, the phony name came up with a description of somebody that just didn't match me. So uh, long story short, they told me to get out of the get out of New York City and head home and they told me to get my uh let's see how I can put this <laughs> get my candy blank blank up north where I belonged i think <laughs> we can i saw... think we can fill that blank in yeah <laughs> they said if they ever saw my name on a blotter report down in New York City again i would think they had just made love to me
2: oh my <laughs> So, okay, so you enlisted. Uh, Take us through your your journey in service to our country.
0: Oh, I enlisted. uh, I went for basic training down at Fort Dixon, Jersey. Uh, When I finished there, I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, for uh, training as an infantry mortarman. From Fort Jackson, uh, our whole company got uh, got orders to go to Vietnam. The next day, I was called in a first sergeant's office and told I was deleted, that I would be going to Germany. And the reason was I was only 17. I suspected my father had made a call, because uh, after we had heard we were all going, I had called home. I, I don't know. He-, he denies it, but I don't know why I was singled out. I know at least one other guy in that company that was 17, and he wasn't deleted. So I got to the repl- 21st replacement depot in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. I was heading to the 1st Infantry Division, and they were looking for people, because Vietnam was going on replacements were in short supply. I was sent to Heidelberg, Germany, as an emergency action specialist. Probably one of the best moves I made. Infantry not being the nicest place to be in many instances. Uh, I worked in the headquarters for the United States Army Europe, and uh, while I was there, I was promoted a couple times. I made sergeant. When I left there, I had planned to get out of the army. I didn't. I had no idea I was going to make it a career. But I got orders to go back to the United States, and the orders were to send me to West Point. I was born and raised at West Point, so I re-enlisted. I went back there, and I stayed at West Point for four and a half years. I re-enlisted a second time, and then they sent me right back to Germany. And uh, I did three years in Germany. My first son was born there. At the end of those three years, I came back to the United States, and I was uh, stationed at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. As an ROTC NCO, and uh, after four years there, I went back to Germany again. Uh, I left that one part. I did go down to Grenada for about a month when uh, we had the troubles down in Grenada. Yes. I was assigned to 18th Airborne Corps, and at the conclusion of that, I went back to Germany, and I was assigned to the 701st Military Intelligence Brigade, and uh, it, it was it was very interesting work I was doing. The only downside was you, you got to know things about people that you wish you didn't know. So uh, as you did investigations into their backgrounds, you know.
2: Right. Are there are there any stories suitable for radio that you can that stand out in your mind that you like to tell the folks? Well, uh, there
0: is one. It's it, it's unusual and it's comical. When uh, in the course of uh, doing an investigation, if we come upon information that this. Uh, one soldier was married to another me- soldier of the same sex. At that time, this was, uh, this was a big no-no. And it turned out he was, in fact, married to a Frenchman. Uh, wow. The army was set to discharge him. He fought it. As we went in, we found out that this man he was married to died. He had left 7 million French francs to this American GI. And the GI, all he had to do was go sign the papers that he was his husband. Well, if he did that, he was out of the Army. He he just kept fighting the thing. And one day, he would, he would come up to my office about every two or three months and ask me how the investigation was going. One day, I asked him So I said, you know, off the record, 7 million francs. I said, at the time, that's, that's well over a million U.S. dollars. Why don't you just say you're gay and take the money? He just looked at me and laughed. In the end, uh, I transferred out before his case was ever uh, got a final adjudication on it. I often wondered what happened to him. During an the investigation, they had him handed basketballs out in the gym instead of doing the job he was trained for.
2: Well, we all know the Army's never wrong, but sometimes they're a little short on being right. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, listen, the way that I got your name was from a fellow by the name of Marty Klein. You know Marty, right?
0: I know Marty very well.
2: Well, you're one of the guys that's featured in his movie, Why Can't We Serve? How did how did your relationship come about?
0: When Marty was uh, beginning this project, Why Can't We Serve? He came to our Veterans Association looking for support. And uh, some of the things he said, some of the stories he relayed to us hit home with me.
2: Bill, for those that don't know... Why can't we serve what that is? Could you just briefly explain what that is?
0: Why can't we serve was an attempt by Marty to get the Department of Defense and our government to allow more disabled veterans to remain on active duty in non-combat positions where they might be able to serve with some dignity and pride instead of being pushed out into the uh, civilian world and relying on the VA. Marty felt, and I agree with him 100%, that if more disabled vets were allowed to stay on active duty, the numbers uh veteran suicides which stood at about twenty two per day could be reduced. Even if it were reduced by a couple, it would be a great step forward.
2: Well it's a great project and um, I've talked with Marty at length. It's it it's great that you're helping them. So look, you live in the Kingston area and you're heavily involved in veterans issues in that area. What are some of the things you're doing and uh What services are still lacking in that area? I'd
0: say the biggest thing that's lacking in this area is participation by veterans. It's gone down tremendously over the last 10 to 15 years.
2: Why do you think Uh, that is?
0: The major reason is our World War II veterans were dying off. Uh, We have a a, a VFW Honor Guard. We do funerals because the Reserve and National Guard units that might otherwise do them, they just can't keep up with them, but we do probably about a hundred of them a year. At one point, a couple of years ago, we were doing sometimes two, three World War II veterans a day, and this might happen once or twice a week. Now it's it's, it's let up and we're doing maybe two to three funerals all week long. When we started losing the, the World War II veterans, who's right now, their average age the World War II veterans about 95. The Korean War veterans we were losing also, their average age is about 90. And then coming up behind is the Vietnam veteran whose average age is about 72 to 75 in that area. As we were losing them, we weren't getting the new members in. A lot of guys don't understand these young guys that served during Desert Storm, that served in Afghanistan and Iraq, Anywhere in the Middle East, they're very young. When they came back here, they had a lot of wild oats to sow. They had a job they needed to become secure in. They were trying to start families, begin their lives anew. And They just didn't have the discretionary time to put towards our groups. And uh, many of us, we never got involved until we were probably in our early 40s. I mean, there's exceptions where guys got in earlier, but by and large, that's about the age guys had the time to get involved. Yeah. Our VFW went, when well, I joined, from over 1,500 members to just over 300 now.
2: That's a big post,
0: 1,500. Yeah. Wow. In the Kingston area, right after World War II, they began the Kingston Veterans Association. It had about eight organizations as members then, some of them uh, such as the World War II Navy veterans. They disbanded because you know they died off. Uh, the Vietnam veterans, they died off. There's there's so few of them now that the, the post we had just couldn't keep going. But we still have VFW, two American legions, a disabled American veterans post, a naval Seabees organization, the 156 Field Artillery Veterans Association, uh, and I'm sure I'm missing some, the Ulster Detachment of the Marine Corps League. All these organizations and their auxiliaries are members of the Kingston Veterans Association. And uh, we're able to pool all our resources and expertise and do things that each organization couldn't do on their own. We have a dinner coming up September 19th. Each year we pick one of our own as our veteran of the year. And we honor them with a testimonial dinner and uh, they receive a check, plaque, you know, Each organization gives something to recognize them, and these are veterans that are recognized not for their military service, but for what they've done since then, their involvement in their community, in their church, with the youth groups, whatever that might be. That's what they're recognized for. Their support back to veterans and their families in the area. Uh, this year, to give a plug, the man we're recognizing is a Navy veteran, uh, Ken Friss uh, from Kingston and uh, it's quite an honor. We've had, uh, let's see, he'll be the 24th recipient. In a few years early on they didn't have this, and uh, it, it's quite an honor. Other things that some of our groups have done, our, our Naval Seabees have done so much working with us. There was a, a woman who had two disabled children. They lived on a second floor. Each day they would she would have to carry them on her back one at a time down to the school bus, and then at the end of the day, back upstairs. The local Kiwanis got together and bought her a handicapped chairlift, yes. an elevator of sorts. The Seabees went to the house. They dug down, poured a concrete footing for it, and installed this on the house. One of the city's veterans' monuments, the city's, the Seabees the completely rebuilt it. There's a cemetery in the city, the, the Mount Zion Cemetery, these are all uh, black Americans buried there. Probably half or better are veterans or the families of veterans. It's in a remote area on the edge of the city. The Kingston Veterans Association, after many years of neglect, went in there and cleaned it up. And we go in each year and we cut the grass and we put our flags in there on the graves. Uh, the CVs helped erect an entrance to it, stone, uh, stone wall, and uh, there's a gate there now. The gate was there because people were going and dumping trash, refrigerators, tires, and all up there. I, I, I bought a sign that says Mount Zion Cemetery. Nobody knew what was there except the people dumping stuff. The CBs have been, uh, they, were, they had uh, a veteran who was uh, diagnosed with Agent Orange, and he wasn't doing well at all. Uh, he was confined to a wheelchair. The CBs went to his house, redid doorways redid the house so that it was handicapped accessible for him. Uh They replaced a the, the, lot of the windows. The house was in bad shape because the, the poor guy, he couldn't do any upkeep himself. And then they had a fundraiser to raise money to send his daughter to college.
3: Wow. So this
0: is the kind of things that the Seabees were doing. And similar things, the VFW, the Legion, the Marines, the disabled vets are doing. Our disabled vets plan to give away about 200 turkeys this Thanksgiving. Veterans all are special
2: things. people. I mean, the the military, the folks that go in the military. And of course, we don't have a draft now, so it's all volunteer. And it's just, it's they're special people.
0: You saw the movie that Marty made. Yes. In the movie, my brother is in it also. My yes. My brother served 33 years. He retired as a colonel. And my brother has PTSD. Bad. Uh, I worry about him
2: yeah well I can understand why that's I
0: was diagnosed with it many years ago also but people like Marty have helped me tremendously and all that I do for veterans I do as a form of therapy for myself
2: for what it's worth I think you've helped Marty too
0: you don't know what Marty's done for me can't think that the things I go through are bad when I see what he's had to go through and what others have to go through
2: right there's there's always somebody worse off I guess so, look, with everything that's going on in this country today, what would your message as a a career Army man, veteran, proud member of the military, still very proud to be involved with veterans, what would your message today be to our country?
0: Don't forget our history. Remember what we've fought for through the years. Don't destroy what we have. A lot of men and women have given their all, and a lot more have had their lives seriously cut short or they've had to live with terrible disabilities some visible some not so visible don't destroy all of this don't try to push upon the people something that a minority of you want read our history learn from it yeah. i become very discouraged when i turn on tv i can't even watch the news anymore
2: you I and me so both disgusted. <laughs>
0: I get so disgusted
2: I do too I I see this stuff going on in in cities in our country I never thought I'd see sustained civil unrest That is just allowed to continue unabated
0: It hurts me to watch it I'm past getting mad Yeah I'm just so discouraged
2: Okay Bill, well look Thank you for uh, Thanks for joining us And every time I talk to a vet like yourself Or any of them I think it uh, maybe the people listening, some of the other vets listening, can gain something from it, maybe use some of the information as some help or say, gee, you know, I I have that problem too, so I'm not alone, you know, and that's part of what Marty's doing with that movie, and that's part of what happens when uh, vets communicate with each other, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to spread the good news through our, our little program on WJFF.
0: Well, let me say to to close here, I've seen and I've done some things I'm not particularly proud of. When I retired, I had lost two-thirds of my stomach, gallbladder, spleen, bone out of my chest. But you know what? I still love my country, and I'd serve it again. I just hope that those people in power today will not make it something that I've done in vain.
2: Yeah, let's hope there's a country left to serve. Okay, Bill. You have a great afternoon and enjoy uh, the rest of your day. It's a beautiful early autumn, I think, almost. Yes, yeah. low humidity. It's very nice out today. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, Bill. You are listening to Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill WJFF. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for joining us. Veteran service offices exist in every state in most counties in the U.S., they are literally a clearinghouse for a myriad of veterans issues. Stephen Walsh is one of the staff veteran service officers in Monticello and as you'll hear it's more than just his job it is truly his mission to help vets cut through the red tape and obtain the benefits and services they have earned. Hi Steve.
1: Good morning Doug.
2: And you are a veteran service officer in that office correct? Absolutely. Give us a quick summary of the services that you guys provide.
1: Well, we're the first point of contact for veterans, their spouses and children in the community, and we help connect veterans with benefits that they've earned throughout their service, and uh, we're able to provide information to help expedite that process.
2: Uh, It's my understanding that each county in New York has a veteran service agency, is that correct?
1: Yes. Uh, Congress of the United States has mandated that there is a service officer available to each county uh, in the United States. We are aware that there are some service officers that may cover two to three small counties at one time. But yes, there is always a service officer available.
2: So in the Veterans Service Office, I mean, you gave us a broad brush, but what are kind of rundown the basic services that you guys provide?
1: Number one point that we address on a daily basis would be service-connected disability, where a veteran may have been injured during their active duty, uh, you know, a normal injury or illness uh, that has stayed with the veteran throughout their life. They can claim service-connected disability for issues. Uh, that were derived of their active duty service. Another popular topic that we address on a daily basis is medical insurance through the VA, and we also help veterans find transportation to and from those medical appointments.
2: And how has the uh, COVID-19 pandemic affected your mission?
1: Well, our, our workload has actually increased because we found that a lot of our local veterans are have more time on their hands than they're uh, used to having, so we've made contact with many people who have never come in the office. The other way it's affecting us is that uh, we're we're seeing veterans by appointment only at this point. We're not able to go out into uh, crowded areas at this point, obviously due to safety. A lot of our meetings um, and scheduled briefings have been moved to online and Zoom.
2: So, with the holiday season upon us, uh, what, in your opinion, is the most urgent problem facing veterans in your coverage area? Uh,
1: we see a lot of veterans and families in need of emergency meals and food. Some of the problems that are cropping up due to the pandemic are financial issues where veterans need help with some of their utility bills and this is This is ongoing throughout the year, but the outbreak of COVID-19 has magnified the problem.
2: I know that a lot of veterans are not interested in help, and how do you try to contact those who you know need help but are reluctant to ask? Somebody may call with a referral or say, I I, I know this guy, he's a veteran, and, and I think he's got some problems. He's down on Main Street.
1: The number one thing that I could say about a veteran or family member that may be hesitant to reach out to this office for help is don't. Many people feel that if they ask for help, they're taking something away from other veterans that may have a more severe need. There's nothing further from the truth than that statement. The more veterans that call when they're in need of help, the better it is for the veterans who are worse off than them because that's how Congress allots money to the veteran's population by need. And the more people that participate in VA medical that apply for their service-connected disability um, that reach out for help, that strengthens the system for the young people coming back from Iran and Iraq with severe health issues. It makes the system stronger and more efficient. So please do not hesitate to call.
2: I don't know if you're still serving any World War II or Korea vets, and the Vietnam guys are all getting older. That um, population is, is dwindling, I suppose, and, and you're making it up with uh, guys from Iraq and Afghanistan, huh?
1: Yes, our, our number one population that we serve on a daily basis is the Vietnam era. Uh, we still have a surprising number of World War II and Korean-era veterans that walk through this door. Um, they're wonderful. They're a national treasure and we learn much from them. The younger veterans from the Persian Gulf era I would consider as the most hesitant to ask for help and that is the smallest veterans population that we are serving currently.
2: Okay there's a lot of agencies providing services to vets and others and do you guys meet with these agencies are there referrals and once you refer a vet to another agency for something that's perhaps beyond your scope or they have a better access to a service that that vet needs how do you how do you follow up Steve
1: well, we network with multiple agencies on a daily basis, and you know we are allowed to not only contact the veteran personally to verify that the services were rendered or to just see if they need any additional help. Um, but if we hold a power of attorney uh, for that ver- veteran's needs, it gives us the right to communicate. Uh, with the other entities that may be involved in acquiring services for the veterans. So we always do a follow-up and a wellness check, and we we write out a report to see how effective uh, these other agencies can be. Um, we are currently uh, under the Division of Services now with the county, and we have other offices that we've opened up lines of communication with in an effort to streamline the services offered to veterans in Sullivan County. It's working very well become very effective.
2: You guys are also active in the Sullivan County Veterans Service Coalition, huh?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, We are all members of the Veterans Coalition and we support uh, the causes and uh, facilitate and expedite the help that the Veterans Coalition can give and has given thousands of veterans in in our local community over the past few decades.
2: Are you guys meeting in person or on uh, Zoom?
1: Uh, this month, uh, as the commander of, of Amvets Post 50, we've postponed the meetings and changed to all online to avoid con- personal contact uh, with the increasing numbers of the pandemic. Most of the large veterans organizations, such as American Legion, VFW, once again, Amvets and the coalition have moved to online platforms to reinforce safety.
2: Steve, you're an Air Force veteran, correct? Yes. Give us a give us a summary of your service. I know you mentioned to me a couple of things that were quite unusual with your service and you're quite proud of them and and I think uh, some of the folks will appreciate that as will I.
1: Well, I was a proud member of the 50th Tactical Fighter Wing and the 10th Tactical Fighter Squadron at Hahn Air, Air Force Base in Germany. It, it was a, uh, a front-line fighter base poised on the Fulda Gap during the height of the Cold War. It was a Nuclear capable fighter wing with a very, very intense and important mission. I served there from 1985 till 1988 as a propulsion specialist.
2: Okay, and you actually had some um, some flight time. You were telling me, huh?
1: Yes, I, I had uh, the great honor of being on flight status for over 36 months, and uh, personally flew the F-16 October. 27th of 1987 was my last sortie, uh, and I flew off the eastern coast of Spain over the Mediterranean and, and pulled well in excess of 9Gs and broke the sound barrier multiple times, uh, and I was awarded the Air Force 9G pin, which is it's a rarity for an enlisted person to wear that.
2: And what was your rank, Steve?
1: I separated the Air Force as an E-5 staff sergeant in December, December 5th, 1993.
2: But how does it work that you actually flew the aircraft? So it's it's a two-place aircraft, front and back, right?
1: That is correct. I flew with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Schneider, who was a Vietnam-era F-4 fighter pilot. Part of my duties as a propulsion specialist was going from place to place to either perform inspections or maintenance on combat or weather downed aircraft. I served in a transient alert uh, organization and was put on flight status for uh, quite a while. Uh, it was not uncommon for a technician to fly in the back with a pilot throughout Europe to recover downed aircraft.
2: All right, Steve. Listen, in closing, is there any way folks can help if they want, to, if they wanted to contribute? Do you guys have like a, an emergency fund or does somebody have an emergency fund for uh, vets who, you know, find themselves hard up against the wall and, and need something real quick that you guys can help out?
1: Yes. Uh, they can always contact us at the Veterans Service Agency in the government center. Um, we are involved with the Veterans Coalition, all of the local VFW and American Legion posts, also including the Anvets. I'm the commander of Post 50, Uh, We have helped out a number of veterans and family members in the local community during the pandemic. Uh, We recently supplied 1,100 meals for the ECAC Center, for the Community Assistance Center, and uh, we're able to distribute holiday meals as well. Um, The Coalition, you know, hands out meals on a yearly basis, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, many of our local organizations would be willing to uh, take donations to help local veterans and families during holidays.
2: Do you guys actually uh, get involved with preparing the meals, or how does that work? Who prepares the food?
1: We, uh, a lot of the posts have kitchens, and they'll prepare the meals, or the meals can be prepared by other private organizations. We basically purchased all of the food and then had the meals prepared. A lot of the meals were delivered to local families of veterans who were on quarantine, who could not leave or could not go to the supermarket. So we, uh, we were in contact with lots of families and family members who, whose lives were disrupted due to quarantine and or loss of work.
2: Well, Steve, thank you for your service, and everybody thanks all of our vets, or should thank all of our vets every day for preserving the freedoms that we all enjoy for the moment. In closing, I'd like to have you run down the contact information, website, Facebook.
1: Yes, the best way is to contact us right in the Veterans Service Agency, at at in the Government Center, seven nine four three thousand. My direct line is eight zero seven zero two three five, and uh, they can address any questions. Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, we're here full-time.
2: Where can they find you on the web?
1: Amvets.org, AmericanLegion.org, and um, they can go to the county website to catch up on current events and other contact information.
2: Okay, Staff Sergeant Steve Walsh, thank you for your service and thank you for your time. And um, it's been very informative, and I hope you have a great holiday. Thank you Doug. You as well. Okay. Larry Newman wears many hats. He is well known as program supervisor at the Joseph P. Dwyer Vet to Vet Peer Mentoring Program for Orange County and he's also the chairman of the Hudson Valley Veterans Task Force. And we'd like to welcome Larry Newman who's director of the Joseph P. Dwyer Vet to Vet organization in Middletown. Welcome Larry. Hi Doug, how you doing? Any better, I couldn't stand it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like to hear that.
2: All right, so we've talked before, but for those who are not familiar, could you just run down what exactly is the Joseph P. Dwyer Vet to Vet organization? Yep, yeah, absolutely.
3: We are a peer mentoring uh, and uh, uh, partnering uh, organization. We are veterans ourselves, we work with veterans in the community. Uh, who are having difficulties. And because we have a shared uh, life experience, we're able to get in sync with them right away and understand where they're coming from because we've, we've been there. How many of these
2: uh, vet-to-vet uh, organizations are there located? Throughout the United States or just New York? Well, we're,
3: are, we're a New York State program. And we were supposed to be a pilot program for a national uh, program that uh, never actually got off the ground. And what's interesting is uh, we're currently at 25 counties in New York State out of the 62 counties in existence. Uh, The most recent that were added at this last funding cycle were Sullivan County and Ulster County, and uh, they're working on getting their programs up and running currently.
2: So if I'm not in one of the counties that has one of these organizations' offices, can I go to another county?
3: You can. We we, we do blur the lines, uh, the county lines somewhat, in terms of offering our program services. Uh, you know, we are a county program, but we'll, we'll step over the county line to help a veteran in need if that county does not have the program, absolutely. Okay. With COVID, it's been a tremendous
2: challenge for everybody, reinventing the wheel, as it were, and having to find new and creative ways to complete your mission. As far as vet to vet goes, what are some of the changes that you've had to make, and uh, what are some of the updates?
3: Well, that's uh, you know that's a really good question, Doug, because so many of the services that we offer are in person and face to face. Now, uh, one of the main Problems that we encounter is veterans who don't have transportation. So you know we've always been a, a transportation provider when necessary uh, to get veterans to doctors' appointments at uh, the VA healthcare facilities or the Vet Center, or if they have to go to the grocery store, or the drugstore, or banking or laundry, whatever the case is. If they're in need you know, uh we're there to help them. Now, how has that changed? Well, obviously, we have protocol to follow now, and everybody's got to wear personal protective equipment. And, uh, you know, so uh, if we are providing a, a transport these days, Uh, we're going to be wearing our masks and we're going to make sure that the person with us is wearing their mask and when we get uh, done with that transportation service we have to wipe down any touch surfaces within the vehicle and outside the vehicle to make sure that it's sanitized and and that everybody is is safe we maintain social distancing as as good as possible of course in a vehicle that's very very difficult but you know we do the best we can and uh, so far so good uh, we haven 't gotten sick, and nobody 's gotten infected, nor have we infected anybody else so uh, that's that 's working out as as best it can. but in terms of all the different uh, you know program services we offer in terms of our our veteran meetings and and one on one meetings and and uh, writing workshops and music workshops and all of those different things that, that we offer, uh, we've had to move those to online. Of course we're all doing Zoom now. Have you been to a Zoom meeting lately Doug? I'm sure you have.
2: Yeah, Veterans Task Force meeting.
3: <laughs> Absolutely, there's a perfect example right there. So a lot of those have, have moved online. As a matter of fact just this morning I was in an online uh uh, Qigong class, uh, it was an introductory class and, uh, I gotta tell you, uh, you know, there's, there's no loss in terms of the benefit of attending online. I was able to attend it, uh, in my office and, and go through all of the exercises. It was, it really works out well. So I think there's been a big paradigm shift in the way we deliver services, but it hasn't come at a cost of the quality of those services. So I'm happy to say that. So
2: along with being creative to accomplish your mission, I think uh, everybody has had to be a little creative in the way they perceive it, not being able to be face-to-face anymore and and pick up on the benefits
3: of body language. It's true that. Yeah, I mean, there are some drawbacks. One of the main things that we encounter is veterans who uh, aren't familiar with the technology, don't even know how to get online or or. To be able to get to a meeting but we've had some great strides and successes I mean we've been doing this for so many months now that eventually even those veterans who at first were very apprehensive about doing something like that and learning something new they're on board with us now we've provided that instruction for them and gotten them connected so uh, they're enjoying again the benefits of the program offerings that we have
2: well one of the great uh, things available to veterans and to others kind of ties us all together is the hudson valley veterans task force when we first met a number of months ago i guess i don't know if it's been a year and we did an initial interview and you told me about the veterans task force and how it came to be
3: so you know this is going back six years ago when this program was first uh, brought to orange county and, uh, we're a boots on the ground organization. We're out there meeting veterans where they are. Uh, that can come in terms of where they are physically, and we do encounter homeless veterans, jobless veterans, all, all different walks of life, and where they are mentally as well. They can be destitute, they can be suicidal, they can, or they could be on top of the world and have something to, to offer uh, other veterans. And when we're working with these veterans, we came to the quick realization we didn't have all the resources at hand to address all of their needs. And we needed other people at the table with us to help us work those individual cases. So it started out with a very small group. It was myself, it was a member of the Veteran Service Agency of Orange County, there was a member of the VA healthcare system, and a member of WestCOP, And we would meet once a month. Uh, it was over at the IHOP on on Dulson Avenue, and sit down and let's review the open homeless veteran cases that we have because those are the most acute and the ones that need the most attention. And we would run through the the list of homeless known homeless veterans, and we would say, okay, where is this individual at? What do they need? What can you provide them? And we would do a warm handoff from one agency to the other right there at the table to ensure that that veterans needs were being met. And then when we meet again, where were where are you with him now? Are you done with that service? Do you need to provide another service to that veteran? Homelessness is never a veteran's only problem. There's always contributing factors to that homelessness. It could be lack of employment, it could be a substance abuse issue, it could be a medical issue. There are an endless supply of, of reasons why that veteran is, is homeless. And as you are addressing these cases, you find that you need more and more people at the table with you to address their needs. And so here we are six years later, and I'm very happy to report that we were originally the Orange County Veteran Task Force. We had to change our name because we now serve more counties than than just one. We changed our name to the Hudson Valley Veteran Task Force. We are currently over 360 members, uh, representing over 100 veteran service providers across seven counties. And uh, so, you know, we've got all the bases pretty well covered by now. We've brought equine therapy programs to the table and hospice and food pantries and uh, you name it. Uh, You know, so now we still meet monthly. Of course, currently we meet over Zoom, as many people as, as can make it, and we still review those uh, open cases of homeless veterans and do those warm handoffs, but it's become more, so much more than that because now all these agencies are aware of each other. We all work together. We team up to enhance our program offerings and our services, and it all works to benefit the veteran. What's the most urgent thing? that veterans are in need of right now? The, the biggest issue is always going to be housing. There are 43,000 homeless veterans sleeping on the streets in this country every single night. And it's, we find that that is unacceptable and that those veterans can be helped. There's agencies out there who have money to get them into temporary housing. There's other agencies that can help them find permanent housing there's agencies that can provide them with furniture and, and things they need to make that 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 house a home uh, for them when they're finally placed so yeah housing is always at the top of our list in terms of importance but there are there are so many other issues and you know again employment is is always an issue that is is difficult for veterans who are making that transition typically from their military into back into civilian life we need to have jobs uh, for them we need to understand their qualifications and how their military qualifications and training relate to civilian jobs and we need to be able to convince employers that they're getting a good product when they're hiring a veteran because that individual has already been through rigorous training they understand you know the hierarchy of leadership, that many bring leadership skills to the table with them when they come to the job, and, you know, you shouldn't overlook veterans as as employees. And I think employers are really realizing that now, that the uh, veterans coming back from the Middle East conflict have the skills and leadership qualities that they're looking for and are making those jobs available.
2: And I would say most veterans have a work ethic that is second to none. If if you start at eight o'clock, they'll be there at seven forty-five, ready to go, and
3: they give you one hundred and ten percent until the whistle blows. Absolutely, you're, you're so you're so right about that, Doug. And that's something as veterans ourselves, we all feel that sense of urgency and need to get the job done. And and uh, that's a great quality to have when you're in in the job market. So beyond that, you know, transportation again is a big issue on our list. We probably do more with transportation than than any other service that that we provide because the need is so great. You know, it's funny living here in Orange County. You know, if you don't have a vehicle, you know, you're really kind of lost in terms of being able to get anywhere. And that goes for a lot of outlying areas too. Uh, Ulster, Sullivan counties come to mind. Basically, it's it's really difficult to survive if you don't have wheels so we get a lot of calls with veterans who need help and assistance, and of course there's the segment of the veteran population who's elderly, who no longer drive, uh, who also need transportation. How about an update on veteran suicide? I, of course I do have an update on that, Doug, but it's it's not a pretty picture, and uh, it's something I I feel very strongly about. What is What's happened is... We're living in the perfect storm right now. Uh, We know that the national statistic for veteran suicide is 22 a day. And we also know that the number may actually be much higher than that because there are many uh, metropolitan and populated areas that don't actually track veteran suicide. So that number is only derived from what is known. Uh, There are a lot of unknowns and there are a lot of cases of. you know veteran deaths that are not classified as suicide but are tremendous losses nonetheless, so you know our 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 veterans are are not in a good position now. Add to that the covid pandemic, which has resulted in an increase of homelessness an increase in joblessness and and just made things so much worse for veterans overall. Veterans are a susceptible and very vulnerable segment of the population. Uh, You know, they're dealing with a lot of their own issues to begin with, and you throw these other things into the mix and you've got yourself a perfect storm for for tragedy and disaster, unfortunately. And that's something I I like to report, but that is the reality that we're living right now. And, you know, we're doing everything we can to stem the tide, Uh, but I'll always go back to what I say. It takes a community. And we all have to chip in.
2: Okay. Anything we didn't cover, you'd like to comment on, Larry?
3: Well, there's just there's, there's there are so many good things uh, going on. Of course, you know you've had some great guests on on your program uh, recently. Of course, Kevin Cavini with his uh, Vets on Water uh, program that he manages through the Hudson Valley Center for Veteran Reintegration. Great organization. Wonderful things happening uh, there with them. Uh, I'll go back to the uh, the, the the thing that uh, there's no veteran specific housing in Orange County, and uh, the Rumshock Veteran Foundation received a very nice and sizable grant through through the state. Uh, to To create housing, veteran-specific housing uh, in Orange County. They have a great vision of how they're going to do that, bringing together transportation services and job training, uh, job opportunities, and, and all kinds of things all in a centralized location that's, that's really going to be beneficial. You've got um, uh, the Victory Hill Therapeutic Horsemanship Program that recently opened out in Port Jervis. Uh, led by Lori Briceland, wonderful program. Uh, she has a, a lot of animals. She's got horses. She's got a donkey. She's got goats. She's got all kinds of animals there, uh, and it's just really great to go out to the farm to to be around nature. Uh, she runs a really good program uh, with uh, therapeutic horsemanship, where it really seems to work well with veterans who are having difficulties. It gives them that horse can, can read your emotions and can actually provide some therapeutic assistance to you in terms of your well-being. So it's it's special when that happens, and it's it's nice that that program is available to our veterans here locally.
2: Okay. If any of our listeners uh, would like to help either monetarily or some other way to the Joseph P. Dwyer vet vet Uh, organization or the Veterans Task Force. Who do they call? What do they do?
3: Uh, Well, let me first start by saying, uh, you know, I recently sent out a request uh, to the task force looking to help a very underprivileged veteran family uh, who is encountering some difficulties and I'm thankful to say that I had an overwhelming response to that family's needs, which was for some clothing, some winter coats, gloves, hats, Socks and things of that nature, and it's just wonderful that the uh, task force responded as as well as they did. Unfortunately, I have about four other families, veteran families, in the same situation. Uh, with with needs, here it is the holidays, they have children, they don't have any money to, to buy gifts for the children. There are needs such as coats and, and gloves and things like that uh, that they need. So, yeah, I, I will gladly accept public donations. They can be sent to me, Larry Newman, care of um, the Mental Health Association in Orange County. Our address is 73 James P. Kelly Way in Middletown, New York, 10940. Uh, you can also call me, and we can make arrangements for any donations, and that number would be 845-342-2400, extension 1237.
2: That about covers it, Larry. I want to thank you very much for your time, and uh, again, joining us on Let's Talk Vets on WJFF Radio Catskill.
3: Doug, just in closing, I want to say thank you to you for your radio program, for your connection now with the Hudson Valley Veteran Task Force. You're bringing so much valuable information to our veteran community. Through your program, I'm ex- very excited to see that Don Shaw, the director of the Hudson Valley Healthcare System, has been a regular participant in your program and is dispensing all, all kinds of very important information about the VA to our veteran community. So I want to acknowledge your contribution and say thank you,
2: Doug. Well, you're quite welcome. And quick shout out to anybody who's listening: if you have an organization, if you're a veteran that has something to say about anything. Listen to the program and you'll hear the contact information at the end of the program any way we can help. We're public radio, that's what we do. In closing, please remember our vets who have decided that suicide is their only alternative. Total U.S. deaths in all conflicts, including the Revolutionary War, is believed to be about 1,365,000 directly related to combat and other causes during the conflict. Since Vietnam, close to 200,000 veterans have taken their own lives. During this holiday season, please remember those souls and those who are at risk. We wish to acknowledge the following people that have made this show possible. Bill Forte, Steve Walsh, and Larry Newman. And to you for joining us for Let's Talk Vets. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. Also, send us your upcoming events so we may get them on the air, both in our normal public service announcement segments and this program. You can email me at vets at wjffradio.org. You can leave us a voicemail if you prefer at 845-431-6500. Until our next formation, I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. We'll leave you tonight with my special adaptation of Twas the Night Before Christmas, and, of course, my apologies to Clement Clark Moore. T'was the night before Christmas, it was all very still. Not a creature was stirring in old Jeffersonville. The snow on the hills and the moonlight had glittered. The only sound to be heard was all things considered. The year had been rough, and that ain't no jive, with COVID, Biden, Trump, and silent pledge drives. Tim and Jason could scarce catch their breath. Our skeleton crew had been worked, near to death. Master control was dark, and production was too. Folks who came by these days were only a few. The mystical spirit of Radio Catskill was some perplexed. After 30-plus years, it seemed, we might be hexed. The valley was bathed in celestial light when out on Lake Jeff, a most unusual sight. A sleigh and a team of reindeer appeared. The teamster in red with a snowy white beard. His eyes, how they twinkled, he was up to his task, despite that his face was covered with a mask. The team of eight seemed contented and tame, as the driver called them each by their name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner, and Blitzen, to the top of the dam, the door, and the sill. We've a delivery to make to WJFF Radio Catskill. The sled was chock-full, a large bag in the rear, and the vision grew clearer as the rig drew near. It was indeed the jolly old elf of story and song come to pay us a visit after a year that seemed a bit too long. He came down the driveway with caution, looking twice, For it had not been sanded and was covered with ice. As luck would have it, he came to a stop. He jumped from the sled, his cargo to drop. The bag was heavy, with notes of adoration. The themes all the same. We love this station. There were pledges galore, quite a sum to be sure. Each one would indeed make the future more secure. A list he unfurled with theatrical flair. It was all of the programs that had been on the air, and all of the elves who toiled with a smile to make Radio Catskill our favorite place on the dial. All the volunteers, staff, producers, and hosts had all earned some thanks, and perhaps a small toast, and as we look forward to a year that is new, we couldn't exist without listeners like you. Merry Christmas.
0: I'm Andy Mushin, host of Sounds Jewish, the weekly show that puts the Jew in jukebox. Jewish tradition and historians dispute some of the details of the Hanukkah story, but we all can agree that the Hasmoneans, led by Judah Maccabee, won a war, rededicated the Jewish temple, and launched a popular holiday. Tune into the next Sounds Jewish for Hanukkah tunes from around the world.
1: Saturday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. Support comes from the Women's Health Center in Homesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center, WMH.org. Support for WJFF Radio Catskill.